0: Welcome to another edition of Capital Ideas. This is where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Except we're about 100 miles south of the Capitol today in Vancouver, Washington. I came down here to talk with State Representative Sharon Wiley about the ongoing efforts to replace the bridge over the Columbia River that links Washington and Oregon on Interstate 5. It's a fascinating story and a long one, but I've tried to keep this down to a manageable length. As you'll hear near the end, I promised Representative Wiley that we'd be checking back with her as things progress. We recorded this in the heart of America's Vancouver a few days ago. Representative Sharon Wiley, thank you for joining us on Capital Ideas. My pleasure. We're down here in Vancouver today, across the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon. One of the biggest issues down here in this neck of the woods for many years has been an attempt to replace the bridge on I-5 that spans the Columbia River. Most of the people who live in Clark County, Washington, and Multnomah County in Oregon are intensely familiar with this situation, but a lot of people might not be. Can you give us just a quick, how did we get here
1: well, we ha- we have to go way back. Uh, half of the bridge was built in 1917, and it is of a size to allow for the herding of animals and horse and buggy vehicles. A additional span was built in the 50s. There have been expensive upgrades. It is the only drawbridge of its magnitude in the United States. It is part of the backbone that goes from Canada to Mexico and moves products through Washington, Oregon, California. It's a huge bridge that goes back a long way. There are tree trunks inside resting on mud in a potential earthquake zone, and the traffic and the congestion on it is, uh, is tremendous. It's very, very costly on any human terms. It's at risk in the case of a disaster and it costs industry huge amounts of money. This is a bridge that connects two ports and three states. Product from Eastern Oregon and Eastern Washington and beyond, wheat from Montana unfortunately oil from the dakotas lots of product comes into this port taxpayers have spent huge amounts of money upgrading the ports and right now it's a choke point and it's time for it to be replaced there was an effort that involved huge numbers of stakeholders for 15 years 400 million dollars of federal dollars 200 through oregon 200 through washington were spent looking at all the different options costing those out, doing different models and analyses, looking at all of the options. And four or five years ago, there was a preferred alternative, a big portion of the money that came from the federal government, roughly four pots of money, Um, one big pot from the federal government because this is an interstate highway. Part of that money would have built the structure and it would have required public transit. Uh, Because Oregon has an eight billion dollar publicly funded transit and light rail system, the group that was in in that process at that time decided that it made sense to connect with that light rail system and it brought more federal dollars to the table. It was then up to Washington and Oregon to both, um, that was $950 million of federal dollars Washington and Oregon both had to pony up $450 million. Oregon did their piece, and then Washington walked away after 15 years and $400 million worth of effort.
0: What was the reasoning that was given by the Washington legislature for turning down this opportunity?
1: There was needs all over the state, and you have to start with that. And some of the key people, most part, one of a, particularly a, a very powerful senator who's no longer in office here, believed that light rail was a bad option. There were individuals who were unhappy with the with the process. There are a number of physical constraints that meant that there were lots of compromises that had to be made.
0: You sponsored a bill this past session.
1: As did my senator, and we we had two identical bills. They were modified a little bit, and we had the political will and the votes across the aisle, including some people that were very much for the prior design and others who were very much against the prior design. We came together, we worked really hard for over a year to build trust and to kind of suspend some of the advocacy positions we'd had in the past to take a fresh look and to figure out how to build more of a public consensus for a process uh, that would then tie into all of the legally required decision points and groups that exist. There are by state groups, there are federal processes for federal dollars, there are um, other stakeholders that have to be brought into this. But because our legislative individuals in Southwest Washington killed the last one, we started with bringing those people together and we were able to do that for the most part. There's a couple that are still out there that are not with us, but we really came together to move forward on this in a very substantial way.
0: That's a significant change because it has been so controversial and and really so partisan for so many years. What is the next step here, now that your bill has passed, now that you're achieving something that resembles consensus, critical mass of thinking, what's the next step to replacing the I-5 bridge?
1: The next step will be the appointment of the individuals from both caucuses and both the House and the Senate. Those people will be appointed by their leaders, and we'll come together. Those of us that have been working on this, I think most of us will probably ask to still be involved and will voluntarily stay involved even if we don't happen to be appointed to that committee. And we will be working on bringing the public in. We will be working on making the data available. New people are very interested in this. Things have gotten worse since this project died.
0: You're a former member of the Oregon State Legislature, which is an unusual situation. Are you in any kind of informal talks with decision makers on the south side of the Columbia River about this?
1: All of the members, uh, both parties that have been at the table working together on this, have contacted and discussed this with people on the Oregon side of the river. We need a formal way of having those conversations that are open to the public, where the public uh, can see what we're doing, can ask us questions, and where we can keep track of of that information and make that available.
0: This bridge has been close to obsolete for many years. Why is this so critical now? And why should someone in Bellingham or Spokane or some of the many, many small towns in Washington People who will help pay for this bridge, why should they care?
1: We are one state, we are one Washington. It's in all of our interest to make sure that all of the state functions economically. We have a lot of product east of the mountains that comes through our ports on the west side. The economic region of the west coast where this bridge connects Mexico to Canada is a huge economic engine for our entire country. It is the backbone of the West. It really is. Another reason which has created more interest in actually doing something right now, um, since this bridge proposal died, um, Hanjin, which was a Korean barge shipping company, stopped shipping out of Portland by water. And so now those products that come from eastern Oregon eastern Washington are now coming to our ports and they're being shipped, by truck on a bridge that is wide enough for horses and carriages and herds of cattle.
0: And also has to stop now and then so that it can lift up and let Boats go by.
1: Right. Sailboats cause bridge lifts and huge, huge backups and delays that waste fossil fuels, which cost companies a whole lot of money, which make the price of consumer products higher. So there has been more. And, and the improvement of the economy, um, the good news and the bad news is the bad news is that it creates a lot more traffic on this old bridge. The good news is that we are more prosperous and our ec- economy is improving.
0: What are you looking at in the future of when people will actually be able to see progress here?
1: I'm ready to go now, but some of our key group members are involved in trying to finish up our legislative session. I think the biggest constraint right now is wrapping up our work on school funding and getting to a final budget with the state. We've already passed the transportation budget. We have the money to get going on reviewing the existing information. The appointment process could be fairly quick and we are going to move in tandem. There are people running around right now having public meetings talking about transportation, but the group that did the work, the hard work of building trust and coming up with a process to move forward, is going to be moving forward together
0: and this is a bipartisan group
1: bipartisan group absolutely we will be setting up a series of meetings in all of our areas for uh reviewing the information that comes out of the department of transportation archives and we will be looking for things that need have more questions asked and answered more research we will be identifying that we will be looking at what makes sense to say hey this was thoroughly studied it 's useful, no matter what we do going forward. this is part of, this is going to be part of it and then we will be reaching out with the to the other bi state groups to add their expertise and their representation and voice of stakeholders we 're going to have to be very, very smart about social media and technology to bring people into this process and it 's going to be um, you know thirty years ago. I think it was 25 or 30 years ago, John Naisbitt wrote a book called Megatrends, and he had a concept of high-tech and high-touch. And we have to be able to reach people that are not technologically keyed in and then other people that are only technologically keyed in. And we are going to have to do both and be very, very smart about compressing what took 15 years to do and adding to it, and bringing people on board, and doing it in a short enough period of time that the information doesn't become uh, useless, and um, maintaining our credibility and our unity, and coming up with something that we can all agree is where we want to go, and we've got to do it very convincingly in order for Oregon to come back into the into the process.
0: Let me ask you a question that I actually know the answer to, but I think a lot of people we will look at it, as I do, as a real logical question, which is, this is an interstate highway. This is a bridge that connects the interstate highway in two different states, but it goes all the way from Juarez to Vancouver, British Columbia. If this is a federal highway, why is the federal government not paying for this whole thing? It's their road.
1: The federal government has spent the last 30 or 40 years backing away from investing in infrastructure. The dollars that come back you know in the and, and I think it 's really relevant because um, Oregon and Washington are at the forefront of public process over the last thirty years, and particularly in terms of infrastructure and land use and during that time, the federal government has backed away in the old days, a mega project like this it might have been blessed and signed off on by a state legislative body, but they were signing off on the spending of federal dollars not dollars that they had to take away or find in their own budget. And so the all of this infrastructure was built in the 50s for the most part with tax dollars paid for by families that had one car in the driveway and one television set and were going to school on the GI bill. I mean, we in the past made investments in the future that we are still reaping the benefits of and it's our responsibility to prepare for the future and that means educating the future generation which we're struggling with right now it also means fixing the infrastructure that's going to keep our kids in a um a vibrant economy it's going to keep product moving that we make and that we grow and that we create that's going to go out into the world And fixing that and repairing what we have and making sure we have what we need for the future, that's our job. That's what we should be doing.
0: I think that is a perfect place to stop for today. But I want to put you on notice that because this is going to be a continuing process, I'm going to come back and find out from you in a future Capital Ideas what's going on today.
1: I would love that.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Sharon. This has been Representative Sharon Wiley of America's Vancouver. And I want to say thank you, Sharon, for giving us such a generous amount of your time when I know you're pretty busy right now. My pleasure. That's it for today. If you feel like this was 13 minutes well spent, why not subscribe to Capital Ideas on iTunes or at housedemocrats.wa.gov. What we're talking about here is your state government. What happens here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizell for the Washington State House Democrats. Thank you for listening.